0: Our text this morning is taken from Romans 15. I misspoke last week and said we were going to finish Romans 15. We're actually finishing it this morning. So we're in verses 22 through 33. Almost done with the letter, but counting this morning we'll have three more weeks to finish up Paul's letter to the Romans. So 15 verses 22 through 33. Young Christians, young theologians, I don't have any question for you to answer this morning... I just want you to listen to this. We're going to talk this morning about chains and wearing chains. And it's a metaphor. It's a word picture. It doesn't always mean having chains put on us. It can mean anything that's painful and hard, difficult things that are given to us. So I want you to listen to how we use the idea of wearing chains this morning... ...because there are difficult things that are given to you... ...hard things that are given to you... ...and you need to know what Jesus is doing... ...when he gives you times like that. So listen closely. This is the good news of Paul. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you... ...but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem." And would you pray with me? O oh, Lord Jesus, we forsake earthly fame and treasure. And we know that disaster and scorn and pain come to us. But in your service, any pain we receive is pleasure. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you not make us the kinds of people who are only glad to belong to the living God through Jesus the Savior when times are good and the storerooms are full, our bank accounts are loaded, and our health is strong. We pray instead, Lord, that you would allow us to rejoice in the sufferings that you give as well. Because the love of God is limitless. It is not limited only to the good things that are ours in this life. But the love of God is ours in surprising ways. At times that are hard and difficult. And cause us anxiety and sleeplessness and weeping. But still we've sung it and we've confessed it. The love of our God is not too short to reach us in these times. Unfold these verses to us and show us the joy of Paul in the sufferings of Paul. Show us the love of Christ through all of it. And for it, we will give you thanks. We ask all of this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit. Amen. Would you be seated? Most of what Paul was planning here never happened. Luke, the gospel writer, tells us in the book of Acts, in chapters 19 through 28, how how all that Paul is anticipating here actually played itself out. And the way Luke describes it, Paul's travel plans were interrupted... Paul never made it to Spain. The last of his planned missionary journeys was never embarked upon. He did make it to Jerusalem, carrying the offering for the Jewish Christians from Gentile Christians in Macedonia and Achaia, which in itself was a remarkable feat. These Gentile Christians, always suspected by Jewish believers as Pretenders and imposters and not real believers. And they gather money and they send it to the suffering Jewish church in Jerusalem... ...as a sign of the fruit of the gospel in their lives. The work of Christ had been done in them... ...and their hearts were made new... ...and so now they send the love of Christ in the form of alms. Gifts to relieve need... ...to a group of Christians who had never really figured out how to love them in the first place. So Paul makes it to Jerusalem and he delivers the gift. And then he's arrested in the temple. Worshipping in the temple one day a group of Jews recognize him. And they don't like what Paul's been up to. He's been traveling and preaching the gospel. His outlaw message is we are not saved by the law, we're saved by the grace of Jesus... We are not saved by our Jewishness. We are saved by God's faithfulness. And for the Jews in the temple this is blasphemy. And they gather around him and they threaten to tear him... ...limb from limb right there on the temple floor... ...and a garrison of Roman troops intervenes... ...and Paul is arrested for inciting a riot. He does make it to Jerusalem. But it doesn't turn out the way he had planned. And... ...he does make it to Rome. But as a prisoner to be put on trial. When Paul says, I hope to come to you... ...he wasn't expecting to arrive in chains and under armed guard... ...but he wasn't shocked by it either. Paul comes from a long tradition of imprisoned preachers. Jeremiah thrown into the bottom of an empty well to shut him up. Apostles locked away in a stockade to stop their preaching... John the Baptist, tucked away in Herod's dungeon and left there before they take his head. And Jesus himself, bound, shaken down by priests and soldiers and senators. The gospel has never been afraid of chains. But chains have always been afraid of the gospel. Chains and violence and intimidation... And pain and suffering have never stopped the gospel. The gospel routinely breaks chains and locks and bars. And so when Paul is bound and carried off to Rome as a prisoner, it was unexpected but not unwelcome. The amazing thing about the gospel is that every situation is an opportunity for ministry. There is no situation where it's not at work. Maybe the closest thing to what Paul endures here that we can relate to from modern history is life in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. I visited one of the camps. I visited Dachau outside Munich. You roll through a suburb, all this track housing, and then turn a corner and there's a fence with barbed wire on the top of it. All the usual pieces ...were there during our visit, the enlarged photographs that documented life in the camps. These people mistreated and broken, reduced to skeletons wearing loose suits of skin. The sunken eyes and faces where the light of hope had left them entirely. One photograph was nothing but a mountain of children's shoes... The ovens were there and the gas chambers. Ghastly museum pieces now. The towering smokestack that sits silent but once it belched the ash of death over the surrounding villages and the countryside. It was all there and there was a surprise there too. Block 26. Barracks number 26. Right in the middle of the camp. And Dachau was unique in this way. But right in the middle of the camp, Barracks 26 was constructed to house pastors. Through a German interpreter and, and an informational instructional sign, I was able to put together that this is where they kept the pastors. Pastors. ...and they had to wear their own symbol. They had an inverted purple triangle. The guards wanted to identify them on sight... ...because they wanted to keep them from congregating with other inmates. Because every time they got together with other people... ...they were preaching. This isn't how it ends, they said. This isn't the last word. It doesn't end this way. Jesus the Savior has entered our suffering... To put an end to it. All this suffering that we create for ourselves and immerse ourselves in. Jesus is dismantling it. This will not last. Follow him by faith. And his peace and his strength will be yours. Even under Nazi guard. The guards didn't want them preaching like that. It was the greatest threat to the Nazi reign of terror there was. So they prohibited it. I used to struggle wondering when the Jews were rounded up in the final solution. Where were the Christians? And at Dachau I got my answer. They were in the camp. They were living there, suffering, preaching, ministering. Their lives had changed. But their hope, their message, their calling had not and the same is true for Paul. If it must be Roman chains... ...then Rome in chains it is. But a prison cell... ...or house arrest... ...or a courtroom... ...a trial, a hearing before Caesar... ...or preaching openly and freely... ...in the synagogues or in the streets... ...they're all just places to proclaim the gospel. Paul wasn't wrong in wanting to go to Spain... And he wasn't wrong in not wanting to spend much time at Rome because the church had already been planted at Rome and it was doing fine. But Jesus wasn't wrong in overriding Paul either. Rome owns the world and even though through many emperors, Nero and Vespasian and Trajan and Marcus Aurelius and Severus Decius... Diocletian, Maximian, through all these emperors, the church was horribly persecuted. Still, the gospel has to come to Rome to show its power over iron-hearted, iron-fisted emperors. The Caesars can trouble the church. They just can't crush it. And Paul's being in Rome is due to the fact that he's now to be a living sermon who says... The gospel of Jesus, the church of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus is stronger than empires. There is a world power that you must reckon with and his name is Jesus. Last week we read Paul's boast that he was preaching the gospel in word and deed. He explained what he meant when he said he was preaching in deed... He preached with signs and wonders these unusual, miraculous happenings that that came along with Paul's preaching of Jesus as the salvation of sinners. Here's the way signs and wonders work. Whenever there is a new period, a new season in which God's redemptive story, his salvation in history is being unfolded, ...there were always signs and wonders that came with the preaching of it to attest that it was true. The signs and wonders confirmed the word being proclaimed. But here's where Christians in our time go wrong with it. Christians in our time want to put the emphasis on the signs and wonders. That's never how they were understood. The emphasis is on the word... It's on the message. It's on Jesus as Savior. The signs and wonders do nothing, nothing... ...but confirm the proclamation of Jesus as King... ...as Redeemer, as Lover. But now, in this passage... ...Paul gives us a glimpse of the most powerful sign and wonder. It's strange, miraculous, ordinary... ...frightening, beautiful, all at the same time. It's the gospel wearing chains. The gospel puts itself in chains. And the last two verses of the book of Acts... ...tell us something of what happened to Paul while he was at Rome. He lived in Rome, awaiting trial two whole years at his own expense. How's that for taxes? How do you like that for taxation? You're not only under arrest... ...you have to pay for your own imprisonment. And he welcomed all who came to him... ...the verse says... ...proclaiming the kingdom of God... ...and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ... ...with all boldness and without hindrance. Isn't that fascinating? At the beginning of the passage... ...Paul writes to Rome and he says... ...something's hindering me from coming to you. There's more work in planting and building churches... ...that has to be done... ...that's what's holding me back is the gospel. But now that he's in chains in Rome... ...the verses tell us nothing holds him back. There is no hindrance. Sometime after his two-year imprisonment... ...we're not quite sure when. Some think Paul was released for a short time. Others think that he was always held in captivity from this time on. Sometime after his imprisonment... ...Nero has Paul killed... Some versions say he was beheaded. Some versions say he was crucified. So, was Paul wrong in verse 29 when he says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ? Did Paul miss it? No. This is it. The gospel putting itself in chains is the fullness of the blessing of Christ. You realize that world literature is built on a single storyline. Love that suffers. We keep trying to work the mystery out in our hearts and in our heads... ...by writing novels and reading novels... ...and imagining ourselves in the roles cast in these novels... But all the best literature says... ...love is best when love suffers. That's how love proves itself. That's how love shows its character. That's how we know it's love and not something else. Not sentimentality. Or a practical arrangement. An arrangement of convenience. A symbiosis like birds picking bugs from the hides of hippos. It's not whimsy... Just filling our time with a relationship. Not from any devotion or passion. But just to fill the time. A diversion. A prop. Love is love and suffering. When it hurts. When it bleeds. When it aches. When it pays a great cost. When it willingly takes on the debt of another just for the joy to go on loving. Then it's love. Everything else is counterfeit. Phil Van Steenberg got married last weekend. You don't know Phil. I knew him as an 18-year-old freshman at the university. One of my favorite memories of Phil is an unusual one we were at a conference. All of the Reformed University Fellowship students from South Carolina were all together in one place for the weekend. And on Saturday night of the conference, we rented out a hockey rink to go skating and to play ice games. And at the end of the night, we'd turned our skates in and they'd given us back our shoes. And the lights in the place are being shut off and we're moving toward the door. And one of... My little girls, a little freshman girl, decided to run across the ice in street shoes. And she got to the middle of the rink and she lost her feet. They got out ahead of her and left the ground and she slammed her head on the ice. This little freshman girl came to RUF because Phil had befriended her and she was actually converted because Phil and some others of his friends had cared for her and Phil went out onto the rink and he held her lap in his head and he held her head rather in his lap cradled it stroked her cheek knelt on the ice in the cold and the wet sat in a puddle of her blood and vomit from the pain. And he kept saying to her, I'm not going anywhere. I'll be right here with you. He rode with her in the ambulance to the hospital and he met a small group of us there. We spent the night in the waiting room praying, waiting for the doctors to finish their observations and their treatments of her. And finally as the sun came up, they wheeled her out in a wheelchair and we walked her out to the car Wobbly and dizzy, but she was fine. And it was the highlight of the conference. Not what any of us had expected, and it's certainly not the kind of thing that you print up in the brochure. It was the best part of the weekend. And most of us would be tempted to look at an event like that and say, Why would the Lord give to us a great night together and then take it all away and ruin it? And I would say, no, 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 you don't see. He gave us something great at the end of the night in an accident. Because we learned how to love. Redeeming love is suffering love. And Paul in chains in Rome has been given a special sermon to proclaim You have been loved with the truest love of all. And my chains demonstrate the love that spares nothing. A love that swam through eternity to find you and have you. A love that hanged itself on the cross. A love that drowned itself in a tomb and then rose to the surface again. A love that hates your idols and fights your idols to have your heart, not part of it, but all of it. World literature has the storyline and a longing for the story to be true. But you have the Savior who lived it. You have the suffering Savior in Jesus. And now the world has the gospel of his love through a suffering church. And the church suffers all throughout this passage. In every verse the church is suffering. The Gentiles who have not been accepted by the Jews... And yet, they consider the Jews theirs to care for, so they collect money, they take up an offering, they're sending a gift. Nobody had any discretionary income in this scenario, by the way. This was hard giving on the part of the Gentile churches. In fact, Paul tells us that he had to send for Titus to bring Titus from far away to spur the Gentiles on to give. Do you know what that means? He pushed them to give. This was a method of fundraising that you'd have found so offensive if you were in the church at that time, you'd have left. And Paul and Titus aren't afraid to do it. And the Gentiles send money and love Money they don't have, they give beyond themselves for love. And the Jews have to humble themselves to accept a gift from people they don't accept. They'll have to change their hearts and their minds, and they'll have to repent. Their tight view of the church and the kingdom is about to be enlarged. ...drastically, and Paul asks the Romans to suffer with him in prayer. The verb is strive in verse 30. Fight, sweat, strain in prayer. Don't just throw one up. This is writhing, groaning, imploring. And they're all being tempted to give up all the time. And finally, Paul has to travel great distances... ...and face grave dangers and risk safety and life... ...and in the end he's beaten and arrested and imprisoned and martyred. And this is the good news. This is it. This is the good news. The love of the gospel is so strong it can't be chased away by suffering. The love of the gospel is so strong it finds us in our suffering... ...and it sustains us in our suffering... The love of the gospel is so strong, it's sweetest in our suffering. And we don't believe that, but it's true. And when Jesus gives to our church suffering, and he's given a lot to us right now. From the very young to the very old and everyone in between. When Jesus gives us his chains to wear. It's just another stage for love to play on. Another stage for his love to show its unstoppable strength. Its unlimited volume. I know the objection that the world regularly lobs at Christianity. If God is good, then why is there suffering in the world? I don't think that's really the world's question. The world has always known that suffering is part of the deal. Suffering is part of life. It's only since modernism that we've begun to convince ourselves that we can systematically and entirely remove suffering from the occasion. But always the world has known this is part of it. And I think what the suffering suffering world really wants to know is, is there a suffering love? Is there a love that will find me in my suffering and meet me in it and stay with me through it and give itself to me even more fully on the other side? And because of how our Jesus has given himself to us, Christianity has an eager, fearless answer to that question. Yes, there is a suffering love. It is the love of Jesus in the church. I I know the objection that Christians raise against suffering most of the time. And our objection isn't nearly so philosophical as the world's. Our objection is really just whining. Why? Why me? Why does God insist I suffer? Why does he insist that I suffer like this? Paul actually answers that question in his request to the Romans in verse 31. Strive in prayer that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. What happened? Did they not pray? No, they prayed. Did God not listen? Because Paul was arrested by the unbelievers in Judea. Did we miss that fact? Paul was taken into custody and he's transferred to Rome as a prisoner. What happened? Did God not hear this prayer? No, he answered it beautifully and affirmatively. Even though Paul's arrested, unbelief doesn't win. The love which reaches out to us through suffering is meant to unravel our unbelief and whittle it down to nothing. From a redwood, to a timber, to a matchstick, to a sliver, until there's nothing left of it. The love of Jesus that comes to us through our suffering is another opportunity to mock, to lose, to deflect unbelief in all its forms. That's why you suffer. And we even sing it from time to time. Oh, love that will not let me go. The verse goes like this. O oh, joy that seekest me through pain. There is pain in life, but there's something more. It's joy. And joy is seeking you, pursuing you in the midst of the pain. It's coming for you. Oh, joy that seekest me through pain. I cannot close my heart to thee. There's the unbelief that wants to creep in. I trace the rainbow through the rain. I can see it already. And feel the promise is not vain that mourn shall tearless be. Why do you suffer? Not to shrivel your heart, but to make it swell with the love that will not give you up. Unbelief does not win in our suffering. Unbelief loses in suffering for the Christian. And now you know what to do when you're given chains. Wear them as a gift. And minister. And serve. And rejoice. And proclaim the good news to yourself and proclaim it to others. And scale the heights and the depths and the breadth of the love that will not turn you loose to anything. And laugh at the rainstorm because on the other side there is a rainbow painted in the sky as the promise. You're not being judged, you're being cherished. Skeptics, I'm going to tell you something that Christians will rarely tell you. We're afraid to tell you the truth because we're convinced that propaganda will go down easier for you. But here's the truth of it. And if you've listened closely, you'll have heard this already. God gives us suffering. And here's the other piece of it. He gives us suffering to teach us his love. We know that this is not some cruel, sadistic game that he plays with us. Because he actually enters our suffering through his suffering son. The suffering love of Jesus says there is deep meaning for us even in our suffering. And if you want this mystery to be yours, it's a mystery that will fill up a lifetime for you. But if you want this mystery to be your own. And follow Jesus, the suffering, overcoming lover. J.B. Phillips was a New Testament translator a generation ago. And he struggled all of his life from crippling depression and mental distress. And once toward the end of his life, it was particularly bad. And a Christian woman heard about this stage of his life. And she sent him a letter to encourage him. And in the letter, she told Phillips her own story. Her childhood was one severe illness after another, but the worst of it came in adulthood for her when she was stricken with polio. She had to walk with a caliper between her knees, this rigid brace that forced her legs apart. And she walked, if you can call it walking, on elbow sticks. And then this creeping gangrene set in, and it made her life even more painful, and it made her movement even slower, and everything became even more greatly difficult for her. And then her husband became psychotic, and he took on a a whole new personality. And when he saw the effects of his wife's illness, he couldn't bear it, and he abandoned her and ran off to Canada. So now she's left with a debilitating illness and three small children to raise by herself and no income, but she prayed ...that the Lord would provide for her. And her children grew up and tragedy struck again. Her daughter's fiancé was suddenly killed in a car accident. And then shortly after that, that same daughter was in an accident herself. And the doctors couldn't diagnose that she had sustained a concussion. And she tried to take her own life a number of times... ...until she was finally admitted to a mental institution. And the woman wrote that was the worst part of all of her suffering... To watch her daughter go through this and to be unable to do a thing about it. Now at what point would you have given up? If you were that woman, at what point would you have cried out against God? At what point in that list would would you have accused him saying, This isn't fair and you don't love me. Remember, the woman wrote the letter to encourage J.B. Phillips. So where exactly is the encouragement in anything in what she's written? It comes at the end of the letter in her interpretation of her own life. The woman wrote that she was sure that God had given her all these trials to convince her of his unfailing love And she was convinced that he was doing the same with Phillips. What a gift you've been given, she wrote. A woman in chains, writing to a man in chains, preaching to him. Don't you see? The gospel is written in our chains. Love is sweetest when it comes to us like this. And here's the gospel for you, church. Jesus gives you chains to wear. They are chains smithed. Chains forged in His love. And here's the best part of all. Unbelief is terrified of your chains. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For all your graces, O Lord, we thank you for the sweet ones that feel like warm sunshine and spring breezes upon us, for the times of joy and laughter and endless smiles, we thank you for your blessings that come to us like this. We thank you all for the, also for the, the times that you give us of suffering and trial, the times of distress that cause us to see that the love of our God is unfailing, Through our suffering, he is reaching for us to convince us of his relentless love. And so now make us a people who are rich in that love of Christ, however it may come to us. And for those among us who are suffering, teach the rest of us to comfort and encourage them with the good news that Jesus has not abandoned them. O joy that seekest us in pain... We dare not close our hearts to Thee. We see the rainbow through the rain. And know the promise is not vain. Mourn will tearless be. For all the tears that make the kiss of Jesus sweeter, we are grateful. And this last thing we ask, make us a church that in whatever You send our way, joyfully, gratefully, proclaims the good news of the love of Jesus Christ, which never abandons or forsakes us. For all of this, we will give you thanks. We ask it in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit.